0: grace now oh, you can do better than that good morning grace well, that's better it's uh good to be with you today i trust that um you're here because you're you want to be number one and you want to worship the lord i hope that's true uh, for all of you we already had one service this is service number two all right today and um Wanted to give you guys just a couple of uh, announcements this morning. Uh, first of all, um, Quentin and uh, Beverly Swafford will be uh, moving back to the Promised Land on Saturday. In case you're wanting to know where that is, it's the state of Arkansas. So they'll be moving back there on Saturday, and um, so we just want to thank the Lord, you know, publicly for them. Uh, they're wonderful believers. Uh, who love the Lord and um, both very um, gentle servants of His, and just both really appreciated. And I just want to say publicly thank you to all of you guys who have helped them in their move, getting packed up. Really, that's really really appreciated. And uh, as I said, first service, um, you know, those things kind of go unnoticed sometimes. But um, but I, I with the help of the Lord, I try to notice those things. So I do appreciate the body of Christ ministering to them. And you make sure, if you can, maybe send a text or reach out to them before Saturday. Uh, We certainly are going to miss them, but are thankful that they'll be going back home and be able to be with their family. And uh, so you pray for them. Also, uh, you should have on your chairs a couple of pieces of paper. One is a green sheet that gives you your reading for the week. And I trust that... um, you have enjoyed reading through the miracles, um, just to kind of be reminded of the great God that we serve. Um, how many of you have taken time to make some notes as you've been going through those you know, I heard something last week some about some miracle some some guy from Louisiana preached here, so uh, we appreciate uh, George and his ministry, and uh, thankful that uh, Think that he was able to speak uh, last week and uh, open up the word to you. Um, but I encourage you to keep reading through those, and we'll provide those for you if you fall behind. That's okay. There's grace. You can continue on as you are able to. Um, I want to encourage you in that, and then also the white sheet is a sheet entitled "Prayer for the Church." On uh, this past Wednesday night, um, we prayed. We had prayer time together. Uh, For those that were here and um, we did pray for individual people within our body I do want you to know that we did we did do that but as the Lord was leading me uh, to write the letter and kind of focus on these three areas prayer for the church prayer for our missionaries and uh, prayer for for our country um, these things came to my mind and just um, put down some things for us to consider and how we pray we began tonight just reading through a couple of the prayers of the Apostle Paul, and they're so deep and so rich, You know, we enjoyed that uh, time together just to be reminded of how he prayed. And there's nothing wrong with praying for Uncle Bob's big toe, but there's a lot of richness and, and just uh, really great stuff as you're reading through the prayers of Paul, and um, some of these things here are emphasized uh, in some of those prayers, but... Uh, As you can see there, they're from topics of unity all the way to having a mind set on the Lord and the things that last. And I would just encourage you this week and the weeks following, this is not just a one-time prayer sheet, but we want to continue to pray for the church in these areas. As you can see there, um, unity is a big part of that, Uh, church leadership, the preaching of God's word advancement of the gospel and so you take opportunity as you have time to maybe just add this to your time of prayer uh, each day as you spend time with the lord but i just wanted to encourage you guys in that all right uh let's have a word of prayer and then uh, the praise team is going to lead us uh, in our time of uh, singing together lord one of the things that um should come to our minds every time we enter this building is the privilege we have to meet together. Um, Your church around the world, everyone does not have the freedoms that we have. So we just want to say thank you. Thank you for these freedoms we enjoy. Lord, this morning I want to pray that our minds are alert that we're here um, because we love you, because we want to fellowship with the body of christ but most of all we want to fellowship and worship with you today and i pray that that's foremost on our minds and i pray for um, the praise team as they lead us that lord um, at the end of all of this you would receive all the honor and the glory because you're the only one that's worthy of worship and so we give you our morning help us to Remove the clutter, the things that um, maybe we've come into this place with, and help us to focus in on uh, what you would have for us this morning. We pray all these things in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen.
1: Good morning. Fad alluded to the idea that. It's good that you and I be reminded of things in our Christian life. And uh, that is the exact intent that the writer had in mind in this song we're about to sing together. He says the song is really a reminder for us that we can build our life on anything. He says we have the freedom to build our life on anything we want. And the imitation of Jesus is to build our life on things that last So I'd like for us all to consider that this morning as we uh, start our time of worship and song. Let's all stand up.
2: Worthy of every song we could ever sing, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. we live for you. Oh, we live for you. Sing holy. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you.
1: Sing, I will build my life
2: and, uh...
1: You guys remain standing. Those of us who are are in Christ, we will not be shaken. And I wanted to read a psalm of David in Psalm 16. This is what he says. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. In whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Then he says, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful, I have, I have a beautiful inherited soul. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm sorry. Uh, iPhones can sometimes tricky. Um, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's sing this together.
2: Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul worship his holy name sing like never before oh my soul i worship your holy name when the sun comes up the sun comes up it's a new day dawning it's time to sing Your song again Whatever may pass And whatever lies before me Let me be singing When the evening comes Bless the Lord, oh my soul Oh, oh my soul Worship His home Reasons for my heart to find Bless the Lord, oh my soul Oh, oh my soul Worship His home
1: have a seat i shared with the last service and i'll share again i love this next song because um isn't it right that you and i as the created worship the creator this morning that's just right right it's a good thing um, that we do that and the song talks about the fact that the very breath that you and i are breathing this moment is from god and so one of the ways we can um praise him is to give give our words give our praise um Give our thoughts and affections right back to Him. Let's sing this together.
2: You give life. You are love. You bring. You give hope You restore Every heart That is broken
1: together all the earth
2: and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry These bones will sing.
1: Sing together.
3: The
0: Amen. Wasn't that great? Thank the Lord for our praise team and Kevin leading today with Savannah and Kevin on the drums and Linda on the piano. Um, that was beautiful, Savannah. Um, a couple of weeks ago, her car was in the parking lot. I just happened to be up here on a Saturday, and um, she had a tag on the front of her car that was an Alabama tag. And so I'm exercising, walking around the parking lot, and I thought, hey, I had a hog tag on the front of my truck. So I thought, you know, what would be wrong with switching them up? Then I thought, no, I don't want to put an Alabama tag on my truck. So I removed her Alabama tag and put my hog tag. I thought about putting the hog, I mean, the, the Alabama Tag in the dumpster, but that was just for a brief moment, and then I realized that wouldn't be good, and so I put it inside my truck, and then come to find out, I could have thrown it in the dumpster, because it's Chris's tag on the front of that vehicle, but she's had that tag on the front of her vehicle for the last couple of weeks, and my Razorbacks are winning. We, we, had the ta- we had the game taken from us last week, we won't go into that. But then yesterday we won, so I think I'm going to keep that tag on the front of Savannah's car until we lose. Is that all right, Chris? <laughs> You're in like a position, you can't say no, right? All right. Well, guys, I need you to take your Bibles, and we're going to start in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, and then go back to 1 Corinthians, and then go to 2 Timothy. Um, I wanted to kind of give you picture of what we will be chewing on today how many of you have ever had a now later those things are wonderful right your dentist loves that you love those i mean it's just a fantastic piece of candy in fact when you think about a now later you can put the piece of candy in your mouth and it's good for now and it's even good for later right Because that stuff stuff just gets caught in your teeth, and you can literally have a piece of candy, and now later about 10 o'clock, and then about 12 o'clock, there's still a piece back in the back of your mouth, and you can chew on that. But I want you, I thought this text this morning really illustrates this concept well, that we need to think about how we live now, because it matters later, all right? And so I wanted to kind of get you started in thinking about that before we come to 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2 to deal with this second part of this statement. And I wanted to begin by showing you uh, two passages of scripture that deal with a future time that all who are in Christ uh, will have. A time when those in Christ will stand before the Lord Jesus And he will judge us. Now, we know that Paul says in Romans, there is therefore now what? No condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. And while that's true, and we hang our hat on that all day long, it is also true, and you really need to think through this this morning, it matters how we live now. It will impact our reign in the kingdom of the Lord. Every believer will have a position in the kingdom, but not every believer will have the same position. Some of us will be scrubbing toilets, and some of us will be ruling over cities. And I don't know how that looks in God's economy, specifically for every one of us, but I know it to be true, that each and every person who is in Christ will be judged. And so it's important to... Know that right from the beginning. In fact, chapter uh, 5 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says um, in verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So he is telling this Corinthian church, they will, and he includes himself, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Who's going to be the one to judge that? Christ will be the one to judge that. Well, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're given a little more insight into uh, this time of judgment that each of us will have before the Lord, each of us who are in Christ. Now, let me just say this, that you want to be at this judgment. You don't want to be at the great white throne judgment, okay? This is the being seat judgment. And Paul is writing to a group of believers who are in Christ. Now, I need you to see that in verse 1. He says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men. If you look in the previous section when he talks about the spiritual man the spiritual man examines things closely that was not going on in the church at corinth he said i brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual men but as to men of flesh as to babes and what is that next phrase babes in christ which is a distinctive phrase for the church okay these are believers now there's arguments by some that want to say well there's no such thing as a carnal christian well what do you do with this how do you just dismiss what's being said here that these indeed these people in corinth were in christ he says i gave you milk to drink and not solid food for you were uh, not yet able to receive it even now you are not yet able and he goes into the fact they are acting like mere men men who aren't separated to christ Question, at times do we behave like mere men? Answer, yes, we do. Okay, that's very important to understand. Some want to divorce this position of carnality, but the reality is, all through the scriptures, we have examples of people, believers, who know the Lord who are not acting like they do. And sometimes that happens. But when you come down to the bottom of that section, beginning in verse 10, he says, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. He tells us in verse 11 that the foundation is Jesus Christ. How many of you would affirm with me today that the foundation is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. There is no argument there. Um, At least, hopefully, for us in this room. He says, now if any man, verse 12, builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. He tells you how. For the day will show it. What day? The judgment seat of Christ. Because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he is, has built upon it remains, he shall receive what? A reward. And then, This is a very critical verse. If any man's work is burned up, and so it will be, there will be some works that burn up, he shall suffer loss. He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as through fire. So he's saying, look, these are believers, and there's coming a day when these believers will be judged, and some of the things that they have done will be burned up, but some will remain. Now who is going to judge those things, these deeds, these works? The Lord himself is. And we're going to stand before him. And there will be reward and loss of reward. And it impacts then this concept of the kingdom. When the church enters the kingdom, um, we will each have a position in the kingdom with Christ. But our positions will be different. Some of us will be scrubbing toilets. Like I said, some of us will be governing over cities. I don't know how that looks in your personal life, and you don't either. And one day we will come to that position where the Lord will judge each and every one of us. One of the things that we cannot see, and I think this is so, so critical, we cannot see the motivation, can we, behind the work or the deeds done in the body for the Lord. Only the Lord searches the hearts and the minds. He's the one that knows. Now when you think about that, it's like, whoa. Whoa. Okay, and we're going to see that in a few moments as we look at an example in the church. So I want you to keep in mind that now matters. Okay, there there are some people that live the Christian life that that might have this perspective. I've got heaven, that's good enough. When in reality, it seems to be that one of the most disgusting prophetical issues in the scriptures is the millennial kingdom in fact in the book of the revelation in chapter 20 there's several times where a literal thousand year kingdom is mentioned and we do have brothers and sisters in christ who do not believe in a literal thousand year kingdom where christ will rule on the earth and we will rule and reign with him they do not believe that our millennial brothers do not they believe that the kingdom is now and it's in your heart. Christ is ruling in you. They don't see a distinction like we do between Israel and the church. In fact, there's a huge movement now in replacement theo- called Replacement Theology where <clears throat> indeed some believe that the church has replaced Israel. But the scriptures don't give us the freedom to do that. And so when you come to the book of the Revelation, in chapter 20, there are several verses there that speak of a literal... Thousand year period of time. Okay? So I need you to think of it like this. I'm I, sorry I forgot to put the chart up here. I'll put it up there next week. But right now we live in the church age. Okay? That's what we live in. We live in the church age. When did the church begin? Acts chapter 2. Okay? The church began. We live in the church age, and the next thing on the calendar of our Lord is what? His return for his church. Subsequent to his return for the church, there'll be a seven year period called the tribulation period and it's broken up into three and a half years the first three and a half years are false peace that's what's going on and then in the last three and a half years there's war i mean just read the book of the revelation beginning in chapter six and you'll see all that transpires and then at the end of the tribulation period christ comes back to earth there's the battle of armageddon and After the battle of Armageddon, he comes and he sets up his rule and his reign on the earth. And it'll be an altered earth. It's going to look a little bit different. A thousand-year period of time. Because there's a lot of destruction that goes on during the tribulation period, especially at the end. And you have Christ coming with his armies, and that's the church coming, okay? And then you have, at some point in time before the millennial kingdom... Old Testament saints will be resurrected. And you also have believers who've been martyred during the tribulation period will come to life and they will reign as well. And you'll see that in just a moment. But I kind of wanted to get that picture for you because in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I believe the Apostle Paul is specifically encouraging his protege about now and later. If you look in chapter uh, 2 of 2 Timothy 2, you remember what it said, and we dealt with this last time uh, together. It says, It is a trustworthy statement, verse 11, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. And we talked about the key to understanding, I believe, it, this is my viewpoint, the key to understanding this statement is understanding the pronouns and the word if. The word if is a first-class condition. And it means this, if and since, or in view of the fact. Okay, There's not a question, it's just the truth. So he says, it is a trustworthy statement, for since we died, and you could put that there and it would be accurate, since we died with him, we shall also live with him. What's he talking about here? Our salvation. Okay, and our salvation guarantees us what? Presence with God the Lord. And that's what he says there in that first statement. For if we die with him, we shall also live with him. But these next statements deal with not our salvation, but specifically deal with sanctification. He's talking to Timothy about this, and he says, since we endure, we shall also reign with him. And that word endure, remember, is present tense. So what he's telling Timothy is, hey, since we are enduring, we will reign with him. It's a guarantee. Um... What that looks like is a mystery, right? For us, we, we know the literal thousand years is coming, but our position and what we'll be doing in the kingdom, that is a mystery. The Bible tells us, though, we're going to be reigning with him, which blows my mind because when you think about this term, sumbasileo is the term, um, that preposition here is sum, okay? It's from the word soon. All right, that's the difference maker in this statement that Paul makes to Timothy. You say that, what do you mean? Well, a lot of times in the New Testament, you'll have the word meta, which means with, but it's not as strong of a term. And Paul uses a very strong term here to point out the fact, and this is where the emphasis is he points out the fact that they will reign with him. They will reign with Christ. So the emphasis, while it is true that Paul and Timothy will reign with Christ and believers will reign with Christ, the emphasis is on the one we reign with, right? It would be wrong to put the emphasis on us. The emphasis is on um, the Lord. The word here, it's an interesting word. Uh, It speaks of a more privileged intimacy. A more privileged intimacy. Um, we understand intimacy, don't we? Right, as married couples, we understand intimacy. We get that. Um, There's privileged intimacy that's enjoyed even in the context of a family. Uh, One of the things we think about, there's a privileged intimacy within the body of Christ, right? We're, we're, We're together, we're one body. Um, so, this term intimacy, I think we're, we, we understand, but in terms of how that works itself out in the kingdom, that's amazing to me when I look at it, that we will be, Paul is telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, we're going to be co-reigning with Christ. I mean, think about that. All the hardship, because I believe that Paul, in the context of the passage, is strictly encouraging Timothy, Now, the application is beyond that to other believers, but he's encouraging Timothy during a time when he was staying at the Holiday Inn, right? Answer, no. He was in a dungeon, separated from people, but not separated from the Lord, right? And he, I believe, not only encourages Timothy, but when he thought about it himself, wow. How, how incredibly encouraging must it have been for Paul to think about, hey, endurance enduring in the Christian life, look what's coming. As we endure, we know one day we will reign with Christ. What an encouragement that had to be to not only Paul, I mean, Timothy as he's writing to him, but Paul as he's writing or penning those words. Um, I like the book. If you don't have the book... Um, you probably it's worth the investment, I think. I have a book called The Reign of the Servant Kings. It's about that thick. If you don't like reading, then don't get the book because um, you're not going to finish it. But it's a tremendous book. If I remember right, George may have gone to school with Joseph Dillow or he knew Joseph. Anyway, I, th- I think you remember him telling me something about Joseph one time. But Joseph Dillow has this book that he wrote, The Reign of the Servant Kings. And you will not find very many works in terms of books that are devoted to a lot of language about the kingdom. You just won't find it. It's interesting that in scripture there's a lot of language about the literal kingdom, but Joseph Dillo is willing to attack the hard things. That's what I think when I read through his book. And in his book he says this. the prom- and He's speaking about this particular text. He says, the promise of reigning with him, being rewarded in the coming millennial kingdom is in the forefront of this passage. And I believe that with all my heart. Because Paul and Timothy understood they belonged to the Lord and they would be with him. But look at the encouragement that there was even in this text as Paul and Timothy are undergoing hardship. I have this uh, video I'm going to show you in a couple of weeks. And in this video, you're going to see a picture of this lady in this village who is... um, Standing for the gospel and the word of God. And it's literally costing her. And I'm like, that's what this is. This passage is, hey, Paul and Timothy are literally enduring hardship. And what better way is there to encourage than this? And so, Joseph Dillo points that out. He says, in the context, Paul has in mind that he and Timothy are enduring and will reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it brings to, to, to mind this question of reigning with him. Who will reign with Christ? Who are going to be those that reign with the Lord Jesus Christ in this thousand year period of time? Well, John MacArthur writes this. He has a pretty lengthy section on this. Him and Charles Ryrie, kind of, you could almost put the works together. They're just so much alike. But... He says, the tribulation believers, along with the redeemed from, that should say from, that says form. I didn't catch that first service. From both the Old and New Testament eras will reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are scriptures that point to that, and I wanted to give you those, and you can look some of these up later today. But I wanted to give you these um, so that you'd have them. Charles Ryrie, uh, in talking about the Millennial Kingdom, makes these three points that are, that are very significant. He says, David will be one that reigns in the Millennial Kingdom. And there's several scriptures that speak to that. I gave you two of them here um, that speak about David reigning in the kingdom. But there's also um, passages that point to princes and nobles, Old Testament saints, who will share in the governmental duties in the kingdom. So it's not just the church that's going to be a part of this ruling and reigning. How that looks, that's wild to think about. Um, But in the parable of the minas in Luke 19, there's an indication of um, how uh, that looks. And I wanted to go there with you. I didn't do this first service because I didn't have time. But go to Luke chapter 19. I want to show you this parable. Just read through it. It kind of gives you a sense of Uh, What this is going to look like as it relates to, you know, kind of fleshing out what it looks like to reign in the kingdom. And um, in the context of the passage, um, Jesus has just met Zacchaeus. (laughs) That interesting. And then following this, you have the triumphal entry of the Lord. But here in uh, Luke chapter 19... Uh, I wanted to begin reading in verse 11. It says, And while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves... And gave them ten minas. A mina was equal to about a hundred days wage. Okay. Um, And said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And it came about that when he had returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. And the first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. He said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, be in authority over ten cities. Okay, so you're getting the picture of this, all right, how that works. He says, And the second came, saying, Your mina, Master, has made five minas. He said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. And another came, saying, Master, behold, your mine, which I kept, I put away in a handkerchief. Uh oh. Um, he says, For I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man, and you take up what you did not lay down, or reap what you did not sow. He said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you, did you know that I am an exacting man? taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow. Then why did you not put the money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. And he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the ten. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. He said, I tell you that to everyone who, shall, who has shall more be given. But from the one who does not have even what he does... Have, have shall be taken away, but these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them bring them here and slay them in my presence and so you have here an example of two that invested well and one that did not and you, you have in the kingdom as you think about how um, Old Testament saints and New Testament saints and the martyred believers are going to reign what we do How we invest, right, matters. It matters to the Lord. Now, here's a question. What has the Lord given to you? Class, what's he given to you? Well, if you belong to Christ, he's given you eternal life. What else has he given you? Spiritual gifts. And we're to do what with those spiritual gifts? Sit on them? No, we're supposed to use them. What do we do to do with the Christian life he's given us? We are to be separated unto him, right, and do the work of the Lord. And so, in this particular um, parable, Ryrie points out that those who have proved faithful will be given much authority in the kingdom that is to come. Um, So, you not only have David and the Old Testament saints, but you have the disciples. The disciples will rule and reign in the kingdom. Uh, In Matthew 19, verses 27 and 28, it says, Then Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Peter would be the one to say that. What then will there be for us? Right? So Peter's speaking, but he's likely speaking for others as well. Peter was known for doing that. And Jesus said to them, so he's not just going back at Peter, he's going back to all of them. He says, truly I say to you that you who have followed me. Now here's a question, did Judas follow him to the end? Answer, no he did not. You who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, when will that be? During the millennial reign of Christ you also will sit upon thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so you have the promise there given to the disciples, I believe, minus uh, Judas. Um, There is a debate as to who, I didn't mention this first service. I'll have to tell that to them next week. There is a debate as to who sits on that twelfth throne. Um, And a lot of, Uh, A lot of theologians believe that will be the Apostle Paul. Um, There's not a whole lot of argument for Matthias, but some put Matthias in there. Um, I kind of lean toward the Apostle Paul, but anyway. um, The Apostles will reign during um, the Millennial Kingdom. And then we also have the martyred dead. The martyred dead in Revelation chapter 20. Take your Bibles and go there for a minute. Revelation chapter 20, I want to show you Um, this whole picture here in Revelation 20 about the coming kingdom, okay? Remember at the end of Revelation 19, we have the battle of Armageddon, chapter 19, verse 14, the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Uh, If you don't know how to ride a horse, you will. Um, So, I mean, it's amazing to just picture this scene, coming back with Christ. Um, and we know that he calls, the bir- he calls the birds of the air to come feast. I mean, one of the great things about um, the end of the tribulation period and the end of the millennial kingdom that kind of sticks here is, in my mind always, is the Lord is the one that's going to do battle. He's got it. He doesn't need our help. Isn't that great? And then you come down to uh, chapter 20, And it says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. That's going to be nice. Now all God's people said amen to that. And threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he should not deceive the nations any longer. By the way, uh, not only is there deception with the nations during the tribulation period, there's deception with the nations now. True? True. There's deception. Satan is the deceiver. He's the master deceiver. Um, so it says here, "...threw him into the bish, shut it, sealed it over him, so that he should not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed." And at the end of the thousand years, he'll be let loose for a time. And there'll be a rebellion uh, as the sands of the seashore. Imagine that, right? But the Lord's going to take care of that just like that, all right? <laughs> and it says, uh, verse 4, here it is, And I saw thrones. Now, there's some discussion around who are on these thrones. You, you, are, are they the, the apostles? Are they uh, the elders, the 24 elders? What, You know, it doesn't say, I mean, there's different people that lean different ways. Um, But nonetheless, there are thrones here, and it's, for whatever reason, they are not identified. It says, they set upon them, and judgment was given to them. Now, I tend to lean a little bit toward um, the apostles, because there's judgment given to him. And we can go back to Matthew 19, and it's there. But there's also, uh, in Revelation 5, a picture here of the 24 elders and them coming back and reigning. So there's a couple of different viewpoints there. He says, And I saw thrones, and they set upon them, and judgment was given to them. And then he here here it is, the martyred dead. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. All right, this, this is some pretty intense stuff. When you look back in Revelation in the sixth chapter, Um, you have the uh, fifth seal. I want you to listen to this. When when the fifth seal was broken, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And then you have, in chapter 13 and 14, you have others then who are martyred for the Lord and for the word. And it says here, Look at this. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image. And I underline this up here because I felt like that was very significant. You think about the pressure that's going to take place during the tribulation period. All right. To identify with. And um, to be identified with Jesus Christ and the word during the tribulation period. um, And not to uh, take the mark of the beast. And, um, it, and not to worship the beast. I mean, whew, that's pretty, pretty large when I looked at that. And then it says, notice what it says. It says, And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for how long? A thousand years. So there are theologians who want to dismiss this literal thousand years. I don't know how you do that in Revelation. Six, uh, 20 because it's mentioned several times. It says here, "The rest of the dead did not come to life, um, did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Notice what he says about these people. He says, "Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and will do what?" They will reign with him for a thousand years. Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, the believers who are martyred, who come to life, will reign with the Lord. And then, as you can see, beginning in beginning of verse seven, he talks about when the thousand years are completed and this rebellion that takes place and the victory that takes place there at the end of the millennial kingdom. Um, so we have this truth that we need to think about. The church will reign. That impacts us right? It's in our thinking. The church will reign. It's interesting to me that in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2, Paul tells a church that doesn't have their act all together. Um, he says, or Do you not know that the saints, the holy ones, will judge the world? And then in Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 and 27... He talks about the church reigning. I want you to go with me to Revelation chapter 2. I want to spend a little bit of time in this one. Revelation chapter 2. You remember that there are seven churches in Asia Minor and seven letters that are given to the seven churches from the Lord. These are messages from the Lord to these seven churches. Um, And this particular message is given to the church at Thyatira. All right? And I want you to see this. Church of Thyatira, beginning in chapter 2 and verse 18. Notice what it says, and to the angel of the church, or the called out ones, that's the term there, the ecclesia, uh, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. In other words, the one who's the judge, who judges, um, How much do we think about that? Let me just pause and ask that question. How much do we think about the later? You know, we live in the now, but how much do we think about, hey, when the church is raptured, right, there's going to be this um, time of judgment before the church comes back with Christ to reign? I mean, how much thought is there given? Do you think in churches today about that time? About the marriage supper of the Lamb that takes place before, right, we come back to rule and reign with Christ? I would venture to say that Joseph Dillo is an example of how much we think about this. Not very much. Because when you go and you're looking for books, especially with current authors on the millennial kingdom, you're not going to find many books. You have to go back. You have to go back. And we, listen, we can't afford to skip over this. I mean, you look at what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's motivating him to keep on what? Enduring. Endure. There's something better coming. We're going to reign with Christ. So as you come to uh, this message to the church at Thyatira, um, listen to what the Lord says. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this, I know. Boy, there's a great... You get to stop there. The Lord knows, doesn't he? He's omniscient. He knows everything about that church. He knows everything about the body of believers here at Grace. Every single thing. You're going to see that. He says, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance. That word is steadfastness or endurance. And that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Now, if you stop there, you would do what? I Many these guys are doing fantastic. But notice what it says here in verse 20. But I have this against you. That you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads who astray? This is a very critical point. What does it say? Look what it says. She teaches and leads my, who's my there? The Lord, my what? Bond servants, those who belong to me, astray. So that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Let me stop there for a minute. One of the things that's going to happen in the Second Timothy passage in this area of sanctification You have different viewpoints when it comes to um, if we deny him, he will deny us. And there's some people that believe that the audience is totally different, that they're talking about uh, those who reject Christ. I don't personally hold to that view. I believe he's absolutely talking about what happens at times in the lives of believers. Do believers, have you ever denied the Lord? Careful. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in a lifestyle of sin in your life? A period of time? I mean, I have. I don't know about you. I'm just going to say I'm guilty. I mean, think about what the Apostle Paul said. The very things I don't want to do, I find myself what? Doing them. It's going to be nice when we are saved out of the presence of sin. How about that? Well, he says, she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And asked the class last hour, I said, how did Solomon do at the end of his life? How did he do? Do you know? Not too well. Would you say Solomon was separated to the Lord? Yeah. You know, I think there, there is a great tendency, and I'm just throwing out something here for you to think about. I think there's a great tendency in some evangelical circles to put this big circle around believers and almost have the mind of perfection on this earth. Man, that's not happening. How long does it take you to know every day you get up where you're walking along, you're going, Yeah, I'm a sinner? How, how long does it take? Right, so there's not perfection in the church. We are all sinners, and as Paul said, his struggle was there, and it continued to be there. Um, he was just thankful that there was no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's how he sums it up in chapter eight, verse one. So he says, "Look what he says about his church here at Thyatira." He said, "I gave her," he said, "I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality." Um, He says, Behold, I will cast her upon a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Talking about Jezebel. He says, Unless they repent of her deeds, and I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches. Now look at this. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. Question. Does the Lord know everything about our minds and our hearts? And the answer is yes. You know, one of the mysteries I think with the kingdom, and not not the judgment piece, but how that's going to look after we are judged. Um, one of the things that we don't know about servants of the Lord, we can't see people's hearts. We don't know the motivations behind people, do we? We don't. I mean, I think sometimes there's a tendency to say, "Wow, look at this person. Look at that person." I'm just all about saying this. I have enough in my own life to look at. Lord, help me to examine myself properly. And so he says, I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan. Hey, listen. There's big rebellion that takes place in the lives of believers at times. How many of you have ever, have ever had to confront a brother or a sister in Christ who is in a ditch, not doing well? It's not a pretty picture, and it happens. And I've had people in my life that I've had to go to, and um, people that were mentors to me. And that's not easy to do. You say that, that's judgmental, no? No, I'm just following what the Lord says to do. In Matthew 18, what do you do when someone's in sin? Do you just, I mean, Paul in Galatians, in illustrating, he says, don't leave them in the ditch. We don't leave believers in the ditch to rot. we got to get in that ditch with them and help them, right? we got to go to them and confront them about what's going on in their lives. Because we love them. That's not how people take it, but that's how we mean it, hopefully. He says, nevertheless, what you have hold fast until I come. Notice what he says. Here it is. And he who overcomes. Now, in the Greek, it's the one who overcomes. So it's singular. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds, which speaks to obedience until the end. To him, I will give authority over the nations. And I can't even imagine what's that going to be like. But that's what the Lord has promised to those who are Uh, overcomers who are victors in fact that word overcomer uh, is a picture of one who is a victor in the midst of a battle how many of you would agree that the christian life is a battle right it's an absolute battle that's why it's so imperative that we have the mind of ephesians 6 that we have our armor on because the enemy will shoot the arrows he does not take time off to do that All right, notice what he says, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And these letters were meant for all these churches in Asia Minor. They would have been circulated. And I have yet to find in my study of the book of the Revelation, I've yet to find something that, you know, I didn't know. I mean, I, I don't know all of it. I mean, excuse me, I said that wrong. I've yet to discover, be in discovery and, and go, wow, you know? I mean, I'm I'm always learning from the book of the Revelation. My first opportunity to teach that book, Lord help me, was when I was 20 years old. I was at a youth group, and they were um, my kids. There were about 10 of them. And I gave them a slip of paper, kind of like this sheet of paper. And I said, hey, write on this. Slip of paper, what you want to study. And I had been at Southeastern under George and some of those guys, for Dr. Hughley, for a couple of years. Not listening as much as I should have. I was more interested in dating Teresa and playing basketball. That's the absolute truth. But I remember when I was asked to, to teach those kids, they wrote down, every single one of those students wrote, I want to study the book of the Revelation. <laughs> I should have called George I said, okay. Well I was 20 years old, I never got out of chapter 1. That was probably a good thing. Because there was so much in there. And you know what? Actually, it got me into just like, I just can't get enough of this. And so when we look at these passages like this, we're like, whoa, there's a lot to consider here. Because not only was the Lord talking to them in about 95 of, hey, look, this is what you need to be considering. But he was moving them forward. He was saying, hey, listen, there's a day that's coming. And those who overcome will rule and reign with me. I wanted to show you one more example, and then I want to give you a couple of thoughts before we leave today. I want you to go to chapter 3, and I want you to see something that he says, the message he gives to the the church at Laodicea. Um, Look what he says about their condition he says into the, verse 14 of chapter 3, he says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds. And he says to them, that you're neither cold nor hot. I would have that you were cold or hot. Um, I read something that was interesting about that way he describes them. John Walbridge says in his commentary on Revelation 3, he says, this rebuke would have been especially meaningful to the church. For water was piped to the city of Hierapolis a few miles north, and by the time the water reached Laodicea, it was lukewarm. How many of you have ever had a drink and you were expecting cold or hot, but you got lukewarm? That ever happened to you, right? Well, this is serious here because they were. Listen, these guys were spiritually in trouble. Notice what it says. He says, "I know your deeds. I know you're neither cold nor hot. I would have that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing." He said that. How does it? How how does a group of believers get to that point? Do you think it's possible that some of these things here we could describe our current world? Maybe so, right? Hey, we don't need the Lord. Right? We don't need Him. Even as Christians, I don't need the Lord. I need Him when things are hard. But I got my own plan. I got the retirement plan. And I'm I'm going for the great American dream. I don't have need of anything. Look what the Lord says. He says, because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know what I'd say about the church today? I would say that's a pretty accurate description, but I would add this. The church today is distracted from the things of God. That is a fact. I'm living in that. The church today is distracted from the things of God. And it's not getting better. It's getting worse. I mean, we see our country. It's being divided as we stand and sit here today. It's divided. We live in a divided country. And the church is dividing. It's sad. And one of the things you have on that little white sheet of paper is praying for the unity of the body. Guys, Listen. One of the hardest things to do is to be a uniter, not a divider. And then our propensity is to be a divider. We need to ask the Lord, help us to be united. Help us to do that. Notice he says, and you do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire. That you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourselves the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. An I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. I like Walvard's note on this. I've got to read this to you. He says, Their being lukewarm spiritually was evidenced by their contentment with material wealth. And their being unaware of their spiritual poverty. Christ uses strong words to describe their condition. In verses 18 and 19, he comments, he says, They were urged to buy not ordinary gold, but refined gold, referring to that which would glorify God and make them truly rich. What makes us rich? The riches that we have are where? In Christ. All the blessings that we enjoy. I think Paul does a tremendous job of just summing up all those things in Ephesians chapter 1. We are so wealthy. Um... He had a note here, through its bank industry, the city had material wealth. Laodicea was a rich place, but they were poor spiritually. How do you know if you're not doing well spiritually? Do you have a little self-test that you give yourself? Do you ever do that kind of thing? Or am I just a weird guy? Like, I think one of the self-tests could be, Am I in the Word of God? Am I desiring the fellowship with the body? Is it my desire to be studying the Word of God with someone? Are the things of this world overtaking me? Or am I a person that has a mind set on the things above? Well, I have a few things I wanted to leave you with this morning just by way of thoughts, just things to think about. Um, And I kind of took that whole statement Notice at the end of the the passage there in Revelation, he says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. That's an unbelievable thought. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Um, What a picture that is, of victory. Um, I wanted you to think about these things as you leave today. I have as the heading, as we live the Christian life, have the mind of endurance. And don't, and then I put some things here for us to consider. Because as we live the Christian life, we recognize the fact that it's hard. Have you ever, in your Christian life, been bitter? that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. I'm just confessing before you. It's happened to me. It's happened in relationships. I can honestly say I don't ever remember being bitter toward the Lord. I I don't ever remember that. If I have been, the Lord will reveal it to me. I never remember As long as I've been a believer, being bitter toward the Lord. Not understanding things, yeah, but not being bitter. But I've been bitter toward people. I've had to make that right. You ever been bitter toward someone? Had to make that long walk or that phone call. Um, and then I said, here, don't be a quitter. Don't focus on circumstances, but on eternal life with Christ. Don't be lazy. Wasting what the Lord has given you. Wow, there's a great lesson that comes from this study on what's to come. That's a great sentence. Don't be lazy, wasting what the Lord has given you. Um, Don't be comfortable with this life and the things afforded here. Boy, that's a hard one. Don't forget that he never leaves us and he never forsakes us. So no matter what you're going through as you're walking through and enduring things in the Christian life, he never leaves us or forsakes us. And we'll see this later as we look, get to chapter 4. Paul knew that. He says, At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me. Hey guys, no matter the hardship, this is a truth you need to stand on. And we can stand. No matter the hardship, the Lord is with us. And some of you are going through hard times. And we all go through them. But we need to endure to the end with the mind, hey, one day we're going to reign with our Lord and our Savior. So let's not forget that he never leaves us and forsakes us. And then don't forget our life lived now matters later. If you need to buy you some now-laters, buy them. Chew on those things. Remember that what we do now counts for later. I like what Paul said. He said, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then he said, look, if I'm to live on in this life, it means retirement. Is that what it means? That's what it means. If I'm to live on in this flesh, he says, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Listen to me. You know what happens? It happens sometimes with people who are a little older than I am. It happens, they go, well, I'm just not, you know, how valuable am I to the Lord? You know, I feel like I'm sitting around and I'm not doing anything. Um, There was a lady in our church years ago. Her name was Nell Miner, and um, she's a wonderful believer. And one of the most encouraging times I ever spent with her, um, I remember distinctly. I knocked on their um, little apartment door. I walked in. There's James. There's Nell. If you knew James, he didn't say a word. Nell talked for him and James and me. She was a talker. And um, she looked at me. And she, she was a bad diabetic. She had had um, some surgeries that were difficult. And I'll never forget, she looked at me and she said, Dad, is there anything I can do for the church? I, just, I feel like I'm just sitting around. I said, yeah, Nell, you know what you can do? You can pray. That's what you can do. And I don't know how that sounds to you. But prayer is work. It's work. And so me and a couple other people put together a regular list for Minor. Things that she could pray for. To to feel like she was part of the body, right? The Apostle Paul, his life was a life that was lived for the Lord. I ran across this um, hymn and uh, I wanted to just read it to you. This hymn was put together by... Um, a Union soldier. Um, back during the Civil War. And um, listen to how it how it goes. He says he wrote, "My life, my love, I give to thee. Thou Lamb of God who died for me. Oh may I ever, oh may I ever be ever faithful. Be my Savior and my God. I now believe." Thou dost receive, for thou hast died that I might live. Think about that. Thou hast died that I might live. And now henceforth I'll trust in thee, my Savior and my God. O thou who died on Calvary to save my soul and make me free, I'll consecrate my life to thee. What does that word consecrate mean? To Set apart. I'll consecrate my life to Thee, my Savior and my God. I don't know how it works for you, but I love reading history. And so when I run across someone who was born again and who lived during a period of time where it's World War I or II or the Civil War, think about all the things they were enduring in their life. This is the chorus that he wrote. I'll live for Him who died for me. How happy then my life Shall be. I'll live for him who died for me, my Savior and my God. That's a pretty simple song, but it's a pretty powerful message. What was he saying? Hey, my Savior died for me. What else can I do but live for him? That's exactly what he's saying. So, guys, I really want to encourage you think beyond the now. The later, because one day our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is coming for us. Let's pray together, Lord. There's a lot to consider in this passage about encouragement. Paul is encouraging his brother, and in the meantime. It had to be encouraging for himself. He's already told Timothy, hey, look, because you've died with him, because we've died with him, we're going to live with him. And then he tells him, if we endure, because we're enduring, because that's going on, he's saying we're going to reign with him. And Lord, while we can't exactly picture what that's going to look like, um, And that's still a mystery. I think that's okay because it's going to keep us on track and thinking about the fact that you want us to live our lives consecrated to you. And just as this Union soldier wrote this hymn years ago, I pray that our mind would be to live a life consecrated to thee. And that we would have in mind that how we live now matters later. And that, Lord, we are going to, if we know you as our Savior, we are going to stand before you face to face in all your glory. Help us to be mindful. Mindful of the fact that we serve a living and loving God who saved us and called us and has called us to live holy lives. Help us not to forget. Help us not to forget, Lord, all those who've gone before us who lived faithfully to you. Help us to do that, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. I just want to make one announcement. I don't think I made it earlier about the shoe boxes. I didn't talk to you guys about that this, this time. Did I forget what I do first and second service? Um there was a Christmas tree out here in the fellowship hall of Chris, of shoe boxes. And praise the Lord, all those boxes were taken that Sunday 2 weeks ago. And so we ordered 50 more. And there's 50 more boxes out there. And if you're unfamiliar with the shoe box ministry, it's a ministry of Frank, Franklin Graham put together and literally these boxes go around the world and I would encourage you to pick up a box or maybe two the instructions are in the box and um, you'll if you have any questions you can call the office but it's pretty self-explanatory and I would just encourage you to pick up one of those boxes and I mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago that um, the 10 through 14 age bracket is the one that there doesn't tend to be as many boxes for so if you could kind of focus on that we'd really appreciate it And I just want to make mention of that before you left today, all right? You are dismissed.